Well, good morning. You get me twice in a month. Can you believe that? All right. Well, I am so happy to be with you all this morning. And uh, I feel weird saying happy Memorial Day weekend, but this weekend I'm just remembering those in my life who gave it all. And so just wanted to also, um, you know, just give you warm, warm wishes with that too, if, if you know someone who, have, who you've lost. We are in James today, James chapter 2. We are in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you want to make your way there, Pastor Tim is out of town. He is visiting his grandchildren in Cincinnati. So um, Mama and Papa are down there loving on some grandchildren and grandbabies. So um, be in prayer for them. And uh, as, as we open up our text this morning, I know he's praying for us right now. We're, we're going to be in James right now. And James is such an interesting book, and it's got some interesting history to it. But James is the brother of Jesus. We learn that from Matthew 13, 55. He's also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts 15. And uh, this book is, is really written to Jews in, Jeru- uh, in Jerusalem, and its major theme is pure faith. How should a Christian live? How should a Christian live? We're going to go over a text of Scripture today in which there is some healthy tension. There is some tension here between faith and works. And I want us to just kind of lean in here because this is God's Word, and this is um, God speaking to us through His Word. And uh, I find it's best that when you come to hard passages in Scripture, it's best to... Close your mouth and open your ears Amen. and open your heart. And uh, try to de-weed everything that you've kind of heard through hard scripture. And instead, let the scripture speak for itself. Yes, That's where we'll find the most truth and the most effectiveness today. So, James 2, 14 through 26. We're going to read that together now. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. 
Father, we open up to your scripture and we just read your word. We pray, Lord, that it would sink into our hearts. Let it produce change. May your word be alive and living. Even this morning, may your spirit work in us. And Lord, may we, may we listen to what your word has to say. And may we be changed by it. Lord, we pray that we would have active obedience. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we could be attentive and Lord, that we would be listening to you in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, James here is asking a simple question. Do you see it? His simple question begins with, what good is it, my brothers? He's asking, what good is it if someone has, says he has faith but does not have works? What purpose is that? Why would God do that? And then the all-important follow-up question. Do you guys see that? It says, can that faith save him? Can a faith that is marked by simple faith, but yet no works, is that salvific? See, James is directing his, 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 uh, his words here towards the Jews living at the time, which would have been somewhere in the early to mid 40s AD. And a dangerous way of belief started to rise up in Jerusalem, a, a belief that the gospel was just to be professed and yet not to touch any part of your life, but yet your lips. The gospel is something that changes your entire soul and body. It's transformational. And James is combating this idea that the gospel only touches your breath. And if you proclaim Jesus, but yet your life does not look anything like Jesus, can that faith save you? James, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is asking these questions that would have cut to the core of the Jews living in the 40s. Not the 1940s, okay? This is, this is AD 40s, okay? Can that faith save you? Let me help you understand it in our context today, maybe by asking it by a different word. Because sometimes we can get tripped up by this word works, can't we? Okay, us Protestants, right? We can get tri tripped up by, by works because it, um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we can be tripped up by. But it's biblical. It's okay to use the word works. And we should lean ever more into this word because it is scripture. The question that I want to kind of pose to you today can you claim to be a Christian, but yet have no evidence in your life of living like a Christian? Today, can you claim to be a Christian, but yet have no evidence of living like a Christian? Is it possible to be a Christian by title, but yet there's little if no evidence in your life of being transformed and being changed by Jesus? That obviously is rhetorical, but there's, a, there's an answer to that, right? Absolutely not. And James is comparing this kind of faith to a person who gives words of comfort to someone who needs help. Words of comfort, someone who is, is lacking in food and clothing, and they say, go in peace, be warm and filled. And yet they do nothing to actually help their brother or sister. That is kind of what faith looks like with no works. Your words are meaningless if not accompanied by the works to clothe and feed your brother or sister. Now we have to point something out here. Does Paul and James say different things about faith? 
Is there some, does, is, is James not agreeing with what Paul has to say about justification by faith alone? I would hope not, and I'm telling you, they do not disagree. In fact, I believe they agree all the more. Amen. At first glance, it might seem that James reject, uh, rejects justification by faith alone, but first glances aren't enough when it comes to Scripture. We've got to sink our teeth deep into the Scriptures, and God will answer us and be there for us. James doesn't deny that faith saves. He rejects the notion that a particular faith saves, a faith that doesn't produce works. In short, it's faith that is merely an intellectual assent to God that is not saving faith. Listen to Paul here. Do these things differ? This, these are questions that are okay to ask about the Bible. This is the healthy tension. Tension is not wrong, okay? It's for us to dive deeper. There are mysteries about the gospel that will not even be revealed until one day we, are be, with Je- we will be, will be with Jesus. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Ephesians 2 says this, For as by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Well, that's uncomfortable after just reading James, okay? Romans 3.28 says this, A person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, more, that's more confusion, right? At first glance. But James and Paul are saying the same thing from different angles. James is talking about a faith that is antinomian, anti-law, and Paul is talking about a faith that is legalistic. James is saying you can not follow Jesus and not be transformed. And Paul is saying you cannot earn salvation by your works. Amen. Those are the same kind of teachings about faith, but from different angles. Those do not contradict each other. We can be, we can be sure of that. It is, because if we are truly trusting in Christ, that trust will show up in the way that we live, Amen. right? If you truly trust in Christ, it will show up in the way that you live. If you believe in a big God, your problems are really small. If you believe in a small God, your problems are really big. It's this root and fruit idea. I'm going to let Charles Spurgeon talk for a second. And he has a great illustration about this. So he says this. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he was a pastor in, um, in London in the 1800s, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers. And he says this. A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of that life to that tree is at the root. Whether it hath apples on it or not, the apples would not give life to it. But the whole of the tree of the life uh, life of the tree will come from its root. But if that tree stands in the orchard and when springtime comes, there is no bud. And when the summer comes, there's no leafing and no fruit bearing. But the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit. You would say it's dead. And you are correct. That's a dead tree. It is not the leaves that could make it live. But the absence of the leaves is proof that it's dead. So too is it with the professor. Professor meaning those who profess Christ. If he hath faith, 
that life must give fruits. If not fruits, works. If his faith has a root, but if there be no works, then depend upon it the inference that he is spiritually dead is certainly a correct one. You saw a tree out there for years and years that was just barren, producing no fruit, you would simply say, that's a dead tree. James is trying to warn you and I. Years and years of stagnant living with no fruit, with no movement towards sanctification, no movement and transformation in the gospel, you may be dead. You may be spiritually dead. Of course, Paul would also speak against anti-law as well. He also said, this is Paul saying this as well. He says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is even also concerned about your practice of your faith. He also believed good works were necessary for eternal life. But Paul and James believed such works were the fruit of saving faith and not the root. Paul also says this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's Paul speaking. Again, Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through what? You guys know it? Working through love. This organic relationship between works, faith, faith and works is something that we shouldn't be afraid of understanding or afraid of believing, because this is truth. When you believe the gospel, it transforms you. Faith requires actions, okay? Faith without works does not save. That's our first point today. Faith without works does not save. Faith requires action. There are two types of people when tornado sirens come on. You guys know them, right? You guys might have a dad that does this, right? Tornado sirens come on on the TV, that map of the Metro East and St. Louis, right? It gets all yellow and red and purpley and nasty, okay? Some people go out and they go out to the back patio and look for it, right? They, they, they don't, they're not believing in the severity of the tornado. They kind of want to play with fire a little bit, right? They, they want to see it incoming. They, they, you know, and then there's the person who has faith that tornadoes are very dangerous, all right, in the household, and they gather all the kiddos up, right? They grab all the blankets and pillows and we, they go downstairs and they're constantly yelling at their husband to come back downstairs, okay? This thing's intense, to kill you, all right? And they're watching TV having faith in the meteorologists, okay? That's an ironic statement, right? But they're having faith in what the TV is saying is true, right? It's true. And it, it, it requires action for them. They are believing what it says and they are hunkering down because something is coming. In the same way, when we proclaim faith in Jesus, it requires immediate action. Amen. It requires immediate action. An action for your whole life. Your life should look very different. Sin should taste bitter to you. 
So I have a couple of application questions from this point here. What evidences of grace do you see in your life? What evidences of God's handiwork do you see in your life? And I'm not just talking about the world around you and it's pretty outside and the sunset's beautiful. Isn't God good? I'm talking about your soul. How have you progressed to love Jesus more today than yesterday? What ways can you point to? Don't let it make you nervous that you're not saved or anything like that. But you should also think about it in a real, true way. How can you grow to live more in line with your faith that you proclaim? How can you grow to live more in line with the faith that you proclaim? Our second point today is this. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. We're going to read uh, verses 18 to, through 23. If you want to look down at your Bibles or up on the screen here. 18 through 23 says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Even James is saying, oh, you think those are separate? Let me show you a faith in which you've earned it by works and that's no, no faith at all. That's what he's saying. You believe that God is one, verse 19, you do well. That's what you believe about yourself, that you do well. You're a good person. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. You see, faith that is true, is effective. It's not useless. It's purposeful. And what's the purpose? It is to grow in the delight of the Lord, to know him all the more and to be changed by him, to be kingdom-minded. And he even gives this great example of who? Abraham. Abraham, who was called to offer up his own son on the altar. And Abraham obeyed. As they're walking up the hill, Isaac goes, where's, where's the lamb? God will provide. It is effective. It's purposeful. Faith that is merely intellectual or faith that claims to believe but is lacking of any action is no better than the faith of demons. That's what James is saying here. If you just believe in God but yet don't let him change you, you're no better than demons. James is calling you foolish. You're a fool. Which begs the question, what does it mean to live like an effective Christian in today's world? How can I know that I am being effective for God's kingdom? The simple answer is to know the Lord and delight in him. To know him and delight in him. Don't make this a list of works to please God. That is no way of earning salvation or keeping salvation. Matt Chandler says it like this, that, that when you want to be effective for the gospel, look up. Look up to God. Of course you're going to fail. You fail all the time. You're the worst. Okay, I'm the worst. We fail all the time. Look up to God for forgiveness. In him there's no condemnation. In him there's freedom. And in him, there will be true, life-giving, practical ways of living and 
effectively for God's kingdom. Here are some things that might mark that. You love Jesus and you love others. This world you know to not be your home, but you are a citizen of heaven. You're looking forward to Jesus coming back. Church isn't boring to you. You're excited to meet with God's family. You're excited. You fight for community. You fight for unity in your church. You're kingdom-minded. More on that later. We'll talk about that. You care about making disciples. You participate in making disciples. You give generously. Your bank, your bank account is not your own. It is to be given to God. Everything. You forgive. You forgive easily because what Christ has done for you, how he's forgiven you. You know all of your sins. You spend time with Jesus. You sacrifice for others. You fight for relationships. You promote unity in our church. You fight for sin. You don't coddle it. You don't make excuses. You bring sin to a father who is ready to receive you with forgiveness and make you new. And you disciple your children to love and to seek the Lord. Those are just some things that mark a person who loves Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says this here, and I love this. The love of Christ constrains us. Since we have made this judgment that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all in order that the ones who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Charles Hodge puts it this way. A Christian is one who recognizes Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, as God manifested in the flesh, loving us and dying for our redemption. And who is so affected by, the, by a sense of the love of this incarnate God as to be constrained to make the will of Christ the rule of his obedience and the glory of Christ, the great end for which he lives. John Piper, which I named my dog after him, Okay, puts it this way. Being a Christian does not mean merely believing in our head that Christ died for us. It means being constrained to that reality. The truth presses in on us. It grips, it holds us, it impels, it, it controls us. It surrounds us and won't let us run for it. It cages us into joy. Isn't that good? The love of Christ cages us into joy. You see, saving faith results in obedience, and faith has action. If your faith is just empty words, but there's no real change, is that faith at all? Has God saved you? Has he changed you? Real faith is lived out in real life. Saving faith is kingdom purposed. We're moving right along here. Point number three. Faith without works is dead, okay? Faith without works is dead. We're going to read verses 24 through 26. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is giving us clear examples of how faith works itself out 
in your life. How it takes drastic measures, bold, drastic, courageous measures to live out your faith. He gives Rahab as an example. There is no such thing as a nominal Christian, a Christian merely by name, but yet there's no transformation in their life. It's like a spiritual walking cadaver. James 2.26, it's like a body with no breath. Is someone who proclaims faith, but yet has no works to affirm that faith. The Holy Spirit must bring resurrection in your life. It must be resurrection. Your whole self must be resurrected. God is a God of resurrection. Jesus came and put to death sin and had victory over death and sin. And when we believe in that truth, we unite ourselves to that resurrection power. It's that Holy Spirit, God-given power. And that results in real life change and real life fruit in our lives in courageous ways. How do you become a Christian then? This seems kind of, kind of confusing, kind of difficult. How do I become a Christian? How do I make sure that I'm a Christian? You give your whole life to him. You're everything. And maybe you've heard that before, but listen. Just listen one more time for me, please. Your whole life must be given to him. Trust him with everything. On Fridays and Saturdays, we usually try to do a, a family breakfast and make something fun like pancakes or, you know, this, this week was I got some donuts for the kiddos. And Jovi wants a specific donut, chocolate with sprinkles, okay? So I bring the donut home, and maybe I'm a bad parent for this, but I got one donut for her and Lucy to share, okay? So I come home, and I said, yeah, we got a donut for you. You, you and Lucy are going to share. And do you think she trusted me with that cutting process? <laughs> Where do you think she was in that? She was looking to make sure she got her fair share. And when I cut it, do you think she let me pick out the side? She picked out what side she wanted. And which side did she want? The bigger side. That looked bigger. More sprinkles, more icing, whatever looked more appealing to her. She wanted to keep and to, and to keep that, 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 that circle of the pie for, for herself. She wanted, she wanted as much as she could. And for us as people who want to give our life to Jesus... I fear that our faith is not true when we just give some of our life to Jesus. God, you can have my Sundays. God, you can have five, six percent. God, you can have this. Yeah, that's really hard right now. I'll let you have this. Instead, we make excuses and we, and we say, in the next season, after my son's baseball season, then we'll get serious about church. When my kids graduate, when I've got time, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Community group sounds really difficult. Ah, my kids had a rough week. Now is the time to give your whole life to Jesus. And it's a time for us to look inwardly at what parts of our life, Christians, I'm speaking to you here, 
What part of your life are you still holding on to? Are you still not giving it to God? You're still kind of watching him cut that, that, that donut. Still watching him kind of, ah, don't, don't take that away from me. I really like that. What part, I can't answer that for you. You've got to look inside to see what part are you still protecting from Jesus? What sins are you holding on to because they're fun and they, they make you happy? What sins are you protecting? What part of your life are you not giving to him? I love the childlike faith aspect of the Christian faith because I see it so much right now in the life of, of Jovi. Jovi just turned five and her childlike faith of her, of her parents is so, it's so um, admirable. She wakes up. She knows her mommy and daddy are for her, right? She knows that we love her. She doesn't have to wake up and be like, is mommy and daddy going to be here today? She knows we're there. She wakes up. She's not thinking or wondering if food will be on the table. She knows that food will be there. And you know what she does? She says, what are we having for breakfast today? She's asking us, expecting, having full faith that we'll take care of her. She didn't have to like, you know, she doesn't think deeply about that. She wakes up, what are we doing today? She has to do something every day. It's crazy. Can't just stay home. What are we eating? She knows. She knows that we are there to provide that. And it's a great picture of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? That we wake up and we just trust Him. And that trust looks like the trust of a child. That we trust you, you know what's best for us. Whatever you feed me today, I trust that you will feed me. I trust that you will take care of me. So I am asking you, Christian and non-Christian, to look inside the depths of your heart and really ponder and wonder and search your heart. What ways are you still holding on to your life and not giving it all to Jesus? I promise you, he knows better. I promise you, he will take care of you. Come now and be a made, come, come now and be made alive in Christ. Because true faith is being alive in Christ.